0: Thank you for joining us for this Prima podcast. My name is Taekwon Gilbert. I'm the education coordinator at Prima and the moderator for today's podcast. October is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. National Cybersecurity Awareness Month was designed to increase awareness regarding the significance of cybersecurity, as well as provide the necessary resources to ensure people are safe and secure online. To commemorate the 18th anniversary of National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, Prima created a National Cybersecurity Awareness Month podcast series. Each week during the month of October, Prima will feature podcasts that share important information about cybersecurity. On this podcast, Sarah Creighton, Enterprise Risk Program Manager for Eugene Water and Electric Board, will share her expertise and personal experiences to promote cybersecurity best practices. Thank you for joining us today, Sarah.
1: Thanks for having me, Shaquan.
0: No problem. So to start off, would you like to tell us a little bit about what you do at EWEB?
1: Sure. So I am the Enterprise Risk Program Manager at Eugene Water and Electric Board, and we usually pronounce our initials. We would call it EWEB. We're a public water and power utility. We serve the Eugene, Oregon area and some parts of the McKenzie River Valley. So we are a public entity. And my role as enterprise risk program manager includes all manner of risk assessments, claims handling, ethics. I also serve as a privacy officer. When I think about the cyber exposures that are faced by my utility, we have a website where customers would come and get information about their utility provider. We have a customer portal where customers can turn on and off their services. We have a variety of software as a service and then software applications on our network so that might be email, a work asset management program, personal identifiable information for employees and customers. We have payment card information and we also have some critical infrastructure that data systems for that to manage our water and power systems.
0: How have you personally approached cybersecurity at Eweb?
1: So there are a lot of highly technical solutions to cybersecurity problems. I am not a technical person, and I don't have the authority to implement a lot of these technical solutions, such as multi-factor authentication or MFA. So I'm going to imagine that plenty of you listening to the podcast today are in my same shoes. How can we as risk managers approach cybersecurity from a non-technical perspective? I'll start by telling you a story, because I love stories. So when everybody in my utility who could work from home was working from home in February 2021, we heard about a cyber attack on a water treatment plant in a little town called Oldsmar, Florida. And when I say little, their population is around 14,000 people. In this cyber attack, an attacker successfully infiltrated the computer system that controlled the water treatment facility. They used the utility's remote access software in order to remotely manipulate the computer to change the chemical balance. Now, we're a water utility, and we know how important it is to maintain the health and safety of a community by having good quality drinking water available to our community. So this is a big deal. According to one report I read, an employee noticed the hacker's mouse move across the screen, making changes to the setting, and they were able to immediately revert the changes before any harm could be done. In another report I read about the event, it took five and a half hours for an employee to notice the change. When they looked into how this cyber event happened, they noticed that the computer system they were using was using an unsupported version of Windows, and they did not have a firewall. Also, the facility was using a shared password among their employees. What I took away from that is that the attack was not all that sophisticated, and the information that the utility and the FBI chose to share publicly paints the avoidance of harm, as being lucky that somebody saw the change happen. And that makes me think, what if that employee had been out doing their rounds around the building? What if it was a newer employee and didn't recognize that what they saw was indeed a cyber breach? We like to talk about trust is not a control. Well, luck is not a control either. One of my favorite risk management quotes is to never let a good crisis go to waste. I didn't know this was a Winston Churchill quote from World War II, but that makes a lot of sense. When I think about not letting a good crisis go to waste, i want to take every opportunity as a risk manager to think about the lessons learned. This was a good catch event. We can talk about it, we can dissect it, and we can learn from it so that we can be proactive rather than reactive.
0: What have you recently done to enhance cybersecurity?
1: One thing we've done at eWeb is we started a security risk council. This is not an officially sanctioned group of individuals. How it started was uh, staff from enterprise risk management, cybersecurity, and physical security happened to be in the same meeting together. And as we were commiserating on our common concerns and the, the shared way that we were doing our work, it dawned on us that we could do things better together than alone. So we started meeting together monthly as a way to share our best practices and uh, talk about issues that we were facing and come up with shared ways to address these issues, to have a, a common vocabulary and a consistent approach across the organization. We meet monthly still, even now that most of us are at home, we meet virtually. And because we've established those relationships of trust, staff in these departments have become my phone of friends for problem solving when it comes to cyber issues. One of the things that came out of our analysis of the Oldsmar event was we created an incident reporting page on our intranet site for employees and when we were talking among the security risk council and thinking about what would happen if an event similar to the Oldsmar breach happened at our utility were we confident that staff would know who to report an event to and what events should be reported so we created a website that has a menu of reporting options It might be, I saw a crime, there was a safety event, there was a hazardous waste spell, there was a cyber event. There's even an I don't know option, because sometimes you're not really sure if somebody needs to know about this event, but you think somebody might want to know. And so we even have a reporting option for that. So on this intranet site, there's a variety of phone numbers that you can call and direct links to websites such as our safety page, so that people, when they know about an incident, can be sure to connect their information with the internal work group who wants to know about it. One of the things we had talked about with our cybersecurity staff was the importance of testing our employees on phishing email. This is not something that I can directly implement, but I could be the cheerleader, and I can encourage the staff to go ahead and make some phishing email tests. And they have been very creative. Most recent test invited staff to click a link to reset our employee Information system password. I almost fell for it, except it was just a—it was just a little bit too clever, and so I reported it using our phishing email reporting that we have on our incident reporting page. And sure enough, it was a phishing email test. And because we had had a lot of conversations about these phishing emails, I was able to pass the test. I mentioned I'm the chair of the privacy committee because I'm the privacy officer. One of the things we do is annual training, and that is required by our state privacy laws, but it's also what I would consider a best practice. We incorporate cyber and physical security tips, such as password security, and not letting people tailgate into a secured building. This year's annual training for eWeb staff is a tabletop exercise, and I'll say tabletop exercise with air quotes because we're doing them virtually, but we're reviewing scenarios that we've pulled from the news such as the Oldsmar event and our own good catch events. We're reviewing this scenario with the team and asking them, what would you do? By doing the training in this approach, we're not preaching at them, but we're encouraging staff to pull out the good information they already know. They're the experts in their own work. It's been fascinating to to listen to the exchange of ideas and information What would you actually do if you saw your mouse moving across the screen and you weren't moving it? Who would you call? How would you report that? Would you just restart your computer and hope nobody ever found out? Or would you feel confident that you could call the cybersecurity staff and report a potential breach event? Our cybersecurity team recently started what they call a CERT. This stands for Cyber Incident Response Team. What they have done is identify people from across the organization to participate in a response team if there were to be a cyber breach event. We have an enterprise risk staff member that is a part of this team, and we're happy to participate in their efforts. What this does from a cyber perspective is get embedded cyber event champions across the utility who can be their eyes and ears. They can encourage those around them to be aware of potential cyber events and to practice good cyber hygiene. And by giving some responsibility to CERT members, it helps them take some ownership of the events that may or may not come up. Hopefully they don't, but we'd rather be prepared. One thing I've been working on lately is finding ways to articulate our leadership's risk philosophy in ways that translates well across the organization. I have a favorite article from a July 2016 public risk magazine It's titled The Risk Crisis Continuum by Jennifer Hills, Lauren Paschia, and Greg Wallig. And there's an illustration in that article that shows a risk value curve. I'm not sure how well this is gonna translate to a podcast because it's a visual, but I'll try. So imagine a bell curve, or maybe get out a scratch pad and draw one for yourself. The Y-axis, the one that goes up and down, is the value to the organization. And the higher on your paper that you go, the more value you're creating for your community. The risk level that you're taking is the x-axis, the one that runs across the bottom. And the more to the right you go, the more risk you're taking on. Now, draw two vertical lines that intersect the bell curve and one just to the right of the the peak of your bell curve and one to the left. Those two vertical lines might represent our guardrails of how much risk we want to take. If we take too little risk, so if we're on the left of the left-hand vertical line, we will not be adding enough value to our communities. One example of this might be being so paralyzed of making a mistake that we don't take any action at all. So we lose out on opportunities to do great things in our communities. If we take too much risk, and that would be to the right side of the right-hand vertical line, we're potentially losing more value than we're gaining by our activities. Maybe our insurance premiums shoot up, we lose our community trust, or we have to pay a huge ransom. So this risk value curve is great in theory, and the illustration has helped me explain these risk guardrails to people across the utility. But one thing that, that we continue to work on is how do we translate the theory of these guardrails into how we talk about taking risks in terms of cybersecurity. I'm pretty certain that my cybersecurity staff and my executive leadership staff don't always use the same language. So leadership might be thinking in terms of time and money and and efficiency, and cybersecurity is thinking in terms of highly technical solutions to solve problems. And if they're not able to share a vocabulary and a philosophy on risk-taking, leadership might be agreeing to accept a risk that they're not really understanding what that risk-value trade-off really is. And a lot of the things I've described, including our cyber incident response team, are ways to get everybody on the same sheet of music, so to speak.
0: So what advice do you have for other risk managers who are working on enhancing cybersecurity in their organizations?
1: My first piece of advice would be to ask a lot of questions. Try using a story like the OldSmar event to start a conversation. Maybe there's something similar that has happened in your community, or there's a different event that happened at an organization that's more similar to yours. By asking a lot of questions, we demonstrate that we're talking to people who are the experts in their field, and we're here to help. Previously, when our cybersecurity staff had tried to bring in our SCADA system people, the people who do use the OT systems, into the cybersecurity conversations, there was a little bit of a disconnect there, where... They didn't want our cybersecurity staff in those conversations. And using an example, such as the old SMAR event, was an opportunity for us to reopen that conversation and help establish a more productive partnership. We don't want, and risk and cyber do not want to exit our own swim lane. What we're trying to do is help. We have shared goals for shared success of our organization. One of the things we've talked about is our staffing levels and how long people have been in the job. And there might be an opportunity there to open conversations that you haven't been able to have before. Maybe people who have been doing the same work for 20 years may not be up on current risks. And maybe people who are new in the job may be ripe for trying new things. So even if there hasn't been a productive relationship before, there might be an opening now. When I talked about asking a lot of questions, one of the questions I would ask would be if we have any shared passwords among technical staff, how would I know? I wouldn't know from my perspective. I would have to find a friend and establish an open, productive conversation and then ask if they're doing these types of things that I read about in the news. If that password is leaked, if there was a shared password, everything is great. It's very efficient as long as everybody gets along. But if somebody leaves the organization on a bad note, they could easily exploit that shared password. One of the other questions I would ask in your organization is what cyber exposures do you have and what are the potential consequences? When I think about our cyber exposures, I think about loss of productivity, loss of historic information, the cost that it would take to reconstruct that data, the cost to implement some corrective measures, maybe the expense of ransomware, the cost to respond to a breach of personal information, and the loss of community trust. Some of those cyber exposures or consequences could be disruption. Maybe there's a terrorist or domestic or international who is intentionally trying to infiltrate our organization. Maybe there's a community activist who doesn't like what our entity is doing and they want to distract us. There might be someone who's trying to extract personal information to sell on the dark web or perhaps putting ransomware on our systems to extort money. And if I can understand the cyber exposures that I have, then I'm more prepared to make sure we have the right mitigation measures in place. One of those mitigation measures might be cyber insurance. There's been a lot of recent chatter on the Prima boards about cyber renewals, and it's becoming more and more difficult for public entities to obtain cyber insurance. If we look at the application as a checklist of best practices, that cyber insurance companies are expecting from public entities, I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that not all of us have the time and funds to implement all these things. So we may be facing some difficult choices in the future. If we're able to obtain cyber insurance, it's important to know what that policy covers. Does it cover a forensics expert? Does it cover data breach call center? Does it cover breach attorneys? One of the issues we've come across in asking these types of questions in our organization is making sure that we have looped in our purchasing department. We don't want there to be any contracting hiccups that could slow down an immediate response to a critical situation. So even though a forensics expert might be on the pre-approved list for our cyber insurance company, there may be public entity implications that we need to think through separately. The last question that I would ask in our organization is, do we have the technical know-how to detect and respond to a potential breach event? Many of us are small-budgeted or under-resourced, and this can lead to increased vulnerabilities. Many outside organizations may view us as a target for these very same reasons. You have good lines of communication, so your equivalent of a water treatment plant operator can notice an event, can report it to the person in your organization needs to know about it, Have you reached everybody in your organization who might be able to detect a cyber event?
0: Thank you for tuning in to Prima's National Cybersecurity Awareness Month podcast series. Should you have any questions regarding this podcast or any podcast in this series, please email education at primacentral.org. To learn more about Prima's educational resources, please visit primacentral.org. Thanks again.